That was a lot of fun watching that. Uh, we really did have uh, a blast. If you, if you helped volunteer this last week, could you just raise your hand so we can acknowledge you? I, I know we have a few that are back there. Let's give them a hand. They gave... They gave many hours to, to that this last week, and uh, God was good. We had a great turnout. Kids loved it. And adults, I think we made it through, didn't we? And we still mostly have our sanity. So yay, God. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, let me pray, and then we will dive into the sermon this morning. God, we love you, and we are grateful for the opportunity to love one another and to experience your love uh, firsthand through Jesus. Lord, I pray that this morning you will speak through your word to us, God. Thank you for the examples of faithful men and women who loved their neighbor well. And I just pray, God, that today we will be able to learn from the example of Tabitha that she left for us. Um, so may my words now be your words, God. Open up our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I want to read a few famous taglines, and I want to see if you can finish them off for me, okay? This should actually be pretty easy. So the first one is this, uh, melts in your mouth, not in your hand, M&Ms. My girls love M&Ms. So like, is that true? Does it really? Did anybody remember like getting them and like squeezing and seeing, is that, do they really melt in your mouth and not in your hands? Uh, this next one is, don't mess with... Texas. Now, if you've ever been to Texas, if you've ever lived in Texas, you know that they take a lot of pride in that slogan. Like they wear it around like this badge of honor. Don't mess with Texas. Uh, when, when we were leaving Rhode Island, uh, which is the smallest state, you know, Texas is one of the largest states in the U.S. Rhode Island is by far the smallest one. It's like half the size of Greene County. Um, but R Rhode Islanders, have a little bit of like a younger sibling complex to them. And so they, they like to, you know, feel like they're bigger than what they are. Uh, but as we were living, leaving, um, somebody gave me a, a shirt uh, that, that I think we have a picture of up here. It says, don't mess with Rhode Island either. And right there in the middle of Texas is a proportionately sized Rhode Island to the state of Texas, just to give you an idea of how small Rhode Island is. Um, fun little fact, if the entire U.S. were made up of states the size of Rhode Island, there would be something near 2,250 states in the U.S. So aren't we glad uh, in geography class we did not have to memorize the names and capitals of 2,250 states? <laughs> uh, the next one here is, where's the beef? Like I can still picture this little old lady. Yeah. Uh, next one, number four, sometimes you feel like a nut Sometimes you don't. Almond joys have nuts, mounds don't. See, marketing, they know what they're doing. These things get into our heads and stick with us. And then the last one is, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. We'll have that jingle in our head the rest of the week now. Um, well, we are in week two of our series called Love Thy Neighbor. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at what it means to be a good neighbor. And that and that could be like what it means to be a good neighbor to literally the people that live right next door to us or, or around where we live. Um, but, but it could also be people that, that maybe we just come in contact with. I was talking to somebody this last week and, and she said, you know what, we're at the ball field so often this time of year, you know, kids playing baseball, softball, soccer season starting soon. She's like, our neighbor's um, that we see more often are the families that we see out in the playgrounds and in the ball fields that we're out in the community with. 
very rarely do we see our neighbors that we live next to as much as we see our neighbors there at, at the park. And so she was saying, you know, this series is helping me understand even how I can love those neighbors. And, and I think that that really speaks to the heart of Jesus' definition of who our neighbor is. According to Jesus, our, our neighbor is anyone that we come in contact with that we can help in some way. And so to be a neighbor to someone really just comes down to being neighborly. Like if you want to be a, a neighbor, it just comes down to being neighborly, whether you're at home or at work or on the ball field. And fortunately, uh, the New Testament is loaded with examples of men and women who, who live this out, who, who show us what it means to be a good neighbor. But it's not just filled with, with examples, it's also filled with directives. Directives for those of us who are followers of Jesus to, to live out in response to our faith in Him, to love our neighbors well. So today we're going to look at an example, and then we're going to look at some directives. If you have a Bible with you, or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And... Uh, Go down to verse 36. That's where we're going to get started here in just a little bit. Before we get to our example, um, I want to look at a few directives that, um, that, that have been left for us. That, that as the Holy Spirit is transforming our hearts, like these are some of the things that should be evidence of that and how we love others. And, and so James 1, chapter 27, a, a verse that Chance Nail broke down for us just a, a couple of weeks ago. James 1, 27 tells us that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so in other words, if your religion only affects what you do on Sunday mornings, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> if, if your religion only informs the things and the people that you are against, then you're doing it wrong. You're missing the heart of Jesus. And not only that, you are missing out on the kingdom life that Jesus has invited you into a life that cares and is concerned and shows deep compassion for those who have been marginalized and oftentimes who have been forgotten in, in our world, those that James summarizes as widows and, and orphans. It's, it's not just saying only widows and orphans, it's, it's refugees. It's people who, who people, our society just says, no, we don't even want to deal with that. James is saying, no, if your religion is truly reflecting Jesus, you can't not care about those folks because those are the ones who are at the heart of God. Paul backs this up in his letter to Titus. He writes these words. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. I want to stress these things so that those who have been trusted in God may carefully devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable to everyone. So those of us who have trusted in God, 
Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, the leader of our lives, we ought to devote ourselves to doing what is good, to, to loving those who feel like no one else loves them, doing what is excellent and profitable, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. This is how we love our neighbor. And Tabitha was a great example of this for us. Let's look at her account, Acts chapter 9 beginning in verse 36. Luke says, in, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. Now, I've heard a lot of biblical names in my life. A lot of Luke's, I've met a lot of John's, a lot of Hannah's. I've not come across a lot of Dorcas's, uh, but this was her name in Greek. Her Hebrew name, Aramaic name, was, was Tabitha. Uh, the name means gazelle. It's a beautiful name. So Tabitha, she was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, a couple of things that are really important about Tabitha that I want to make sure that we don't miss. The, the first thing is that Luke simply identifies Tabitha as a disciple. He, he just refers to Tabitha as a disciple. Now, this may not seem like a really big deal. We, we read that word disciple multiple times throughout the New Testament to, to talk about people who follow Jesus, but, but this is the only time in the New Testament that the feminine version of the word disciple is used in Greek. It's the only time that the word disciple is used to describe a woman. And, and, we, and we read a lot, of, 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 a lot about women leaders within the, the church. There were plenty of them. Um, they were always identified in another way. They were always identified as maybe a prophetess or a deaconess. In other words, they, they had some kind of official role within the church. Some, some of them, uh, the, the church would actually meet in their, their home. They always had some kind of an official role. Tabitha is the only woman in the, in the New Testament who is simply described as a plain old disciple, just a plain old follower of Jesus. Or there's so much more to her than, than this, because right after she's called a disciple, Luke says that she was always known for doing good and helping the poor. In other words, she was known for living out her faith in Jesus because it made a difference in her and it made the difference in the lives of others. And so in those days, there were no government assistant programs that people could rely on. And so they just had to depend on their network of friends and, and family. And, and oftentimes, the early church would become that system that people would depend on, especially for widows. It became their, their network that would care for them. And, and what we see in Tabitha's account is, is that seems to be where her focus mainly was and, and where she poured her energy into was, was widows, either because she was one herself or, or she just had a special deep affection for them. Look at verse 37. About that time, Tabitha became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, 
They sent two men to him and urged him, please come quickly. According to Jewish custom, uh, bodies had to be buried right away, oftentimes even before sunset. And Lida was about 10 miles away, so it was about a six to eight hour round trip to go get Peter. They heard that he had been doing some pretty incredible things in Lida. And so they thought, if there's hope for this person that we love and that we care for, maybe Peter can do something about it. And so these men rushed, they grabbed Peter, they said, come immediately, hoping that he would be able to do something for this woman that they loved and deeply cared for. Verse 39. So Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. And so like even in their grief, like even in their grief, in their mourning, Tabitha's friends wanted Peter to know how wonderful of a woman she was. And, and before he could even make his way upstairs, they're showing him all of these, these, these reflections and examples of her love and care and concern. And, and, and what I think that that speaks is not so much about the clothes and the physical things that Tabitha provided for them, but it was about the emotional support that she gave them as well. It was about the spiritual support that Tabitha provided. I think that that was what caused in these ladies such a deep affection for their friend. And so Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to him alive. And this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, this is a pretty incredible event. But I love that the real hero in this story, the focus of this entire account isn't so much that Peter raised Tabitha back from the dead. It's that Tabitha was just an ordinary follower of Jesus who helped others in extraordinary ways. She was this good neighbor. Tabitha was there to help others that were in need, and people loved her not just for what she did for them, but for who she was. And, and as I spent time studying this, this passage and reading Tabitha's story and trying to think of how we could connect this passage into our lives today, it made me realize something. Your posture is more important than your position. Your posture is more important than your Position. In other words, when it comes to your legacy and the impression that you will leave behind on others, your posture is more important than your position. Tabitha was simply described as a disciple. She was a follower of Jesus. That's it. But she understood that following Jesus meant taking the posture of a servant to others and helping those in need. And at the end of the day, it's Tabitha's posture towards these widows that is celebrated, not her position. What she did to help others in need was more important than, than just any type of position that she may have held. And I think that this is 
this is so important for all of us to glean from. It's important for those of us who maybe feel like we don't have much position to know that we can still make a difference in people's lives. We can still help. We can still take a posture of a servant and love people like Jesus. It's also important for those of us who are looked to or who consider ourselves to be leaders. Sometimes we forget that the greatest in God's kingdom are called to be servants, and servants are called to care for those that they serve. And so you may have a high position in life, you may have a low position. It doesn't matter because your posture as a servant in response to Jesus, who came to serve you, that's what's going to make the biggest impact on the people that you come in contact with. In his book, Unstoppable Kingdom, Bill Bennett puts it like this. I actually stole this quote from uh, my buddy Brad's Facebook page uh, this week. (laughs) He says, how you walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. How we walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. And to me, that begs the question, would I rather walk with the broken or would I rather sit with the great? Because I got to be honest, (laughs) it's a whole lot easier to sit than to walk. It's a whole lot easier to sit with my neighbors who seem like their life is all together than it is to walk with my neighbors whose lives are messy and broken. It's a lot easier to sit with the great than it is to walk with the broken. But that's the example that Jesus showed us when he left the greatest throne of all, sitting at the right hand of God to come down and to live in this world with us. Those of us who are broken and hurting and lost, those of us who carry our sin and our shame and, and, and just baggage of guilt all around, Jesus left his throne in heaven to come and walk amongst the broken like me and like you. And because of that, the greatest expression of our faith is how we love and help those in need. I'm convinced of this. The greatest expression of our faith is not when we just come in here and we worship on Sunday mornings. This is good. This is part of it. But it's what we do after this, how we go out here and we love others and we help those in need. How we lay down our agendas how we lay down our political affiliations and we say, I'm just going to love like Jesus loves. I'm just going to love like Jesus loves. If we truly are following Jesus, then our faith should take us to the same places that it took him. It should take us to the hurting and the broken. It should take us to those who feel lost and alone and not because we have it all together and we feel like we have to go and step in and save them, but because we are being saved by the one and the only one that can save them as well. So our heart's desire is to help and to point them to Jesus. And we can do this with our neighbor and we can show them this kind of love in big ways and in small ways. We have a a neighbor that lives uh, in the the back alley from us. Um, Sorry, Bob, it's not you this time. Uh, Are you awake this week? Okay, yeah, if you missed it last week, I I referenced Bob and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I was sleeping. Um, So I'm I'm glad to see that you're awake this Sunday. (laughs) 
But the, the neighbor who lives in, in the back alley from us, uh, great man, he's, he's 91 years old. And even though I've known him for less than a year, he's like one of my favorite people in the world. When I, when I first met him, uh, we hadn't even fully like finalized the house. I was over there, I was looking at something and I saw him and his wife standing out uh, near their driveway. And so I thought, okay, I'm, I wanna go up and, and meet them. And so I run over across the alley and I said, hey, just wanted to come and introduce myself. My name is Sean, we're gonna be neighbors. And Carol looked at me and he said, okay, now you just need to know one thing and one thing only right now. Do you understand me? I was like, oh. Okay, all right. He said, nothing happens in this neighborhood without me knowing about it first. I'm like, it's really good to know these ground rules. I will remember that. And his wife, Joan, hit him on the shoulder and said, Carol, don't you do that to him. And he just started exploding in laughter, big old grin. Just, I mean, his grin could light up a, a room. And uh, we've been friends ever since then, joking and giving each other a hard time. Well, last fall, uh, my mower was, it was just giving me fits. It wouldn't start. I was over there about ready to throw my shoulder out and Carol came over and he had this can of ether and we tried to get it started. Nothing was working. Nothing was working. I was like, I'm giving up for the day. And I put the mower back in the garage and I went inside and um, hung out with my girls for a little bit. And about that time I heard a lawnmower and I look out and I see this. Carol, at 91 years old, mowing my yard, taking care of me, taking care of us. Didn't ask him, went over there, Carol, Carol, you don't have to do this, let me help. And he just, he wouldn't even stop. He was just going like this, just going like this. All right, like, I, okay, I'm going to get away because I don't really uh, know <laughs> where this mower is going to go, but all right, I'll, I'll let you do it. Well, um, fast forward to this spring, I get my, my mower out again. Same thing, try starting it, try starting it, doesn't, doesn't work, doesn't work. And so I go over to Carol and I said, hey, Carol, can I borrow one of your mowers? And he goes, no, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, we're just going to go get ice cream with the girls. Um, do you want anything? And he said, no, no. And so we go, we load up the girls, we're pulling out of the driveway, and I look over there and Carol's mowing my yard again. <laughs> and so I hop out and I was like, Carol, you, I, I don't mind doing it, man. You can, you can let me do it. And he said, nope. And that stuck with me. He said, you have a more important job to do than mow your yard. You go spend time with those girls. That's pretty awesome. And so we went and enjoyed ice cream and my 91-year-old neighbor mowed our yard. And, and, and in that moment, like, he showed us such an incredible amount of love just by doing something simple as mowing our yard when we needed it. But to me, it speaks volume about who he is and who Christ is in him. He's a believer, and this is just an expression of his faith. And imagine the impact that you can make on your neighbors when you help like that, when your posture towards your neighbor becomes more important than your position, and you live out your faith in loving others and helping those who are in need. The, the, the position and the principle that Tabitha and my neighbor Carol teaches us is if you see a need, meet a need. If you see a need, meet a need. If God has given you the ability and you see a need, meet that need. Whether it's as big as loving and caring for widows and providing for their emotional and spiritual and physical needs or as small as just mowing your neighbor's yard so that they can grab ice cream with their kids. If you see a need, meet 
a need. And if the Holy Spirit prompts you and puts that on your heart, then who knows what kind of a difference he's going to make in somebody's life when you see that need and you meet that need through your generosity and through your helpfulness. Tabitha was a great example of this for us. She was simply a follower of Jesus who was known for doing good and helping the poor. And yet we continue to tell her story even today. Let me close with a couple of things. The first thing is, is this. Maya Angela once said, at the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did. They will remember how you made them feel. That's so true. We think about the people who made a difference and an impact in our own lives. We may not remember everything that they did. We may not remember everything that they said, as profound as their words and what they did may have been, but we will remember how they made us feel. And so what impression are you making on your neighbors and those that you share life with? They won't always remember what you did, but they will remember how you made them feel. And my prayer is that as a church body who, who's just living out our faith in Jesus, we will leave them feeling God's love in their life and the way that we act and love them and treat them. And the second thing is this, and um, at the end of this account that we read in Acts chapter 9, and Ken, I don't know if we could go back to that last verse, chapter 9, verse 43. And this, is, this is kind of on an aside. It was one of those things that, um, honestly, I thought was going to just get left on the cutting room floor, but the Holy Spirit has just prompted on my heart that just to share. So bear with me here if you don't mind. It, it's something that read right past unless we don't understand the, the cultural context that's going on. So I want to read this again and then, and then I'll share some of that. Verse 43 says that Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now that profession of a tanner was someone who would tan animal hides. And so, you know, a dead animal would come, they would skin it, and then, you know, the body would either be used for meat or a sacrifice, and the hide would be used for something else. But because of the position of a tanner and the nature of what they did, they were, they were always around blood. They were always around dead animals, which made them ceremoniously unclean in Jewish context. And so tanners were looked down they were despised. In fact, in later centuries, um, the Pharisees would make a rule that tanners were not even allowed in the city premises of Jerusalem because they were so unclean. And yet, here we have Peter, who was a good Jew, who grew up feeling and thinking all of these same things. But because of Jesus, he began to tear down these cultural walls that, that the religious leaders wanted to put up. And so when this tanner named Simon said, hey, I, I, I want you to come and stay with my house, the old Peter before Jesus would have said, ooh, I can't associate with you because you're unclean. But the new Peter, whose heart has been transformed by Jesus, went and stayed with this new friend. And it just makes me think there are times when we help and we serve and we love others, we're going to have to put aside our biases. 
we're going to have to put aside our prejudices that may have been built up because of our family, because of our culture, because of our politics. We may have to put that aside and say, I'm going to love because Jesus loves you. I'll leave us with that. Let's pray. God, do what you want in our hearts with this text. You're a lot better at it than I am. And I pray, Lord, that we will love our neighbors well as we seek ways that we can help them. And Father, I pray that the impression that they are left with is not how good we are, but God, how good you are and the difference and the transformation that you've made in our life. We're grateful for that. And for the person that's here today, Lord, that, uh, that maybe um, they, they have not embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior, let today be the day, may God. May they please respond to your grace and your love as you left Jesus, the throne of heaven, to come and walk amongst us so that we could be forgiven and set free as you bore the weight of our guilt and our shame and our sin on that cross. They can leave here today changed. Thankful for that, God. May that message be on our lips in Jesus' name. Amen.